you are receiving this transmission, you are reclaiming the faith with Phil Baker on the Fourth Watch Radio Network. Welcome to episode 30 of Reclaiming the Faith, a podcast with a mission to reveal what the earliest Christians believed about the core issues facing us today. I'm your host, Phil Baker. Now, let's dig into history. Hey, y'all. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to Reclaiming the Faith. Thank you for your prayers for me and my podcasting partners, BDK and Justin Fall of the Fourth Watch Radio Network. And thank you for your prayers for my family and for this EP I'm doing. Well, Frequently said in churches throughout the United States are prayers giving thanks to God for a safe place to worship. But when was worship ever designed to be safe? Today, we will be looking at the subject of worship and the correlating action of sacrifice demonstrated in the scriptures. There is a cost to worshiping the Father in spirit and in truth. And sacrifice is never comfortable. Well, guys, I just want to update you on my GoFundMe campaign to raise support for the seven-song EP that I have coming out, hopefully in late fall. Guys, it's just incredible. Y'all have been so generous to me, and I'm very close to being very close to being completed with that campaign. So thank y'all so much for that generosity. Also, I have a book called New Wineskins and the Simple Words of Christ that I wrote in 2016. And it details a lot of my story and the way that the early Christians uh, formed, have, have been forming and are still forming my theology as I try to get back to the original interpretations of the apostles' commands. So please check that out on Amazon, New Wineskins in the Simple Words of Christ. This podcast, Reclaiming the Faith, can not only be found on my website, reclaimingthefaith.podbean.com, but you can also find it on iTunes. And if this episode is a blessing to you, please consider leaving an honest review there. As I said earlier, I am blessed to be a part of Justin Falls' Fourth Watch radio network, along with BDK of Omega Frequency, who I do a monthly Q&A show with called Ready With An Answer. And we take questions that are written in by listeners, and then we answer them once a month on that show, on BDK's channel, Omega Frequency. So if you have a question on anything that I talk about, or anything on the Fourth Watch Radio Network, or just in general, in life or in the scriptures, you can contact me at email philsbaker at gmail.com, or you can email BDK at his website, omegafrequency.com, and we will answer your questions there. And finally... The early Christian quotes that I read from can be found on the CD-ROM version of the Anti-Nicene Fathers, which you can find at the Scroll Publishing website, scrollpublishing.com, and you can purchase it for a mere $5 there. So please, please check it out. It will change your life. All right, let's get on to the cost of worship. Well, frequently around this time of year in September, We hear prayers in our church services thanking God for how we have a safe place to worship. But whenever I hear those prayers, I wonder, was worship ever designed 
to be safe for us. Today, we're going to look at several instances in the scriptures where the ideas of worship and sacrifice run in parallel. The Hebrew word for worship, the main Hebrew word for worship is shaka, shaka. And one of the first times that you see that word shaka, worship, come about in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 22. In Genesis chapter 22 tells the story of Abraham and Isaac going up on Mount Moriah. Now, this is probably when Isaac is a late teenager, and Abraham, therefore, is well past a hundred. And he has finally seen God's promise of an heir, a son, through Sarah come to pass, this miraculous birth of Isaac. And now, though, Isaac is a late teenager, and the word of the Lord comes to Abraham. Let's read this. This is Genesis chapter 22, starting in verse 1. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And God said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. And what did this act of worship look like? Well, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And Abraham said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. You can see in this passage a clear parallel of the idea of worship and sacrifice. Abraham being willing, being willing to sacrifice his only son, the son of the promise, obeying God, being willing to sacrifice his dreams, his hopes. And we also see Isaac being willing to be a sacrifice. Isaac walking on, they continue to walk on and go up the mountain. And later you see Isaac being willing to be bound and not saying a word, willingly worshiping and sacrificing.
another prominent time in the old scriptures where you see the idea of worship and sacrifice together are in Exodus 32. Now, this is such a famous passage. This is the passage of the golden calf. The people have been delivered out of the land of Egypt. They have crossed through the sea. And now they are standing at the base of Mount Sinai. And God has spoken the commandments to them. But Moses is going up to receive the commandments on stone written by the finger of God. And the people are becoming impatient. Chapter 32, verse 1 begins. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron, the high priest, Moses' brother, and said to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has come of him. And Aaron said to them, Tear off the gold rings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. Then all the people tore off the gold rings which are in their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took this from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. And they said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Now, when Aaron saw this, He built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord, a feast to Yahweh. So the next day they rose early and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Go down at once, for your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen these people and behold, they are an obstinate people. It's very interesting. They had heard God speak to them the Ten Commandments in chapter 20. They heard God speak the second commandment that they should not make any graven images. They heard that they were to worship the Lord alone. They heard that first commandment. And yet here in chapter 32, They decide to have a festival to the Lord and to worship the Lord by breaking the second commandment. (laughs) They decided to create worship in their own image, (laughs) to worship God how they sought fit and not how God commanded them to worship. They're trying to worship the Lord in a way that God expressly forbade them to worship Him. And yet, There was a sacrifice. There was a sacrifice. But this unholy worship produced an unholy sacrifice. Let's move on to the New Testament. In the New Testament, the main word for worship that you see is proskuneo. Proskuneo. And it means to 
bow oneself, to prostrate oneself before a superior, to fall down and fall at, at the knees, at the feet of the one in authority. A vivid example of the correlation of worship and sacrifice happening in the New Testament occurs in John chapter 9. This is coming toward the end of Jesus's ministry, and this is what it says. John chapter 9, verse 1, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus answered, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied clay to the man's eyes and said to him, Go, Wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So the man went away and washed and came back seeing. Now this caused quite a stir with the Pharisees because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. So they brought him in and they asked him how he received his sight. So they brought in his parents and began to question his parents. But his parents... As it says, they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews already agreed that if anyone confessed Jesus to be the Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. So the parents avoided the question. They said, ask him, he's an adult. So a second time they called in the blind man who, and, and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner talking about Jesus. And then the blind man answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. So they said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And the man said, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You don't want to become his disciples too, do you? And then they reviled him and said, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, Well, here is an amazing thing that you do not know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears that man. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, You were born entirely in sins, and you are teaching us? So they put him out of the synagogue. Can you? That's got to be one of the most difficult things for a Jew in the first century to have happen to him. He was persecuted by the the professing believers in God for obeying Jesus, <laughs> for worshiping Jesus. He gets put out, and that's actually been the the history of our church, unfortunately, that it's, it's the very ones that call the church to repent who get persecuted by the church. Now, 
Jesus heard that they had put the man out and finding him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? And the man answered, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him and he is the one who is talking with you. And the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped Jesus. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. And it cost that man so much to worship Jesus. And it would have cost the Jewish leadership so much to worship Jesus as well. But instead of it costing them something of this world, like their reputation or their jobs or their money or their security, it cost them their lives in an eternal standpoint. Those who rejected him, who claimed to see but remained in darkness. You know, worship is the main theme of the book of Revelation. That word Revelation, apocalypsis, means the unveiling, the revealing, like a bride raising her veil just before she kisses her husband. The book of Revelation is an unveiling of the truth that Jesus is Lord, and it's also an unveiling, a revealing of the truth that we either worship Jesus or we worship the devil, the dragon, Satan, the deceiver who leads the whole world astray. There is a line drawn in the sand over and over in the book of Revelation. You either worship Jesus or you worship the dragon. And one of the clearest places that that truth is displayed is in Revelation 13, where the Antichrist very clearly comes on the scene. John writes, starting in verse 3, And I saw one of his heads talking about the Antichrist, as, it had, as if it had been slain. And his fatal wound was healed, and the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. Speaking of the Antichrist, they worshipped the dragon, Satan, because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who is able to wage war with him? And there was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies, and the authority to act for 42 months was given to him. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. It was also given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. All, all who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who has been slain, slain. If anyone who has, has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is destined for captivity, to, ta- to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be killed with a sword, with a sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. Clearly, you can see there that if you refuse to worship the dragon, if you choose to truly worship God, it will cost you your freedom. It will cost you the loss of all earthly things, and ultimately, it will cost you your physical life. But what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? 
continuing in verse 11 of chapter 13. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. This is speaking of the false prophet who clearly will appear to be a Christian and therefore will lead so many Christians into apostasy. Continuing verse 12, this false prophet, this beast coming out of the earth, he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence, and he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. This false prophet, he performs great signs so that even he makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which was given him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and had come back to life. And it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast so that those, so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many who do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Guys, we either worship God or we worship the devil and worship that doesn't cost us is not real worship. Worship and sacrifice inherently walk together hand in hand. Well, I just want to read to y'all a real life example of worship and sacrifice. I'm going to read to you the story of Justin Martyr's martyrdom. And this took place about 163 or 167 AD. It says this, Rusticus, the city prefect, prefect, said to Justin before the judgment seat, first of all, Trust the gods and obey the emperor. Justin said, Obedience to the words of our Savior Jesus Christ does not call for blame or condemnation. And the city prefect Rusticus, knowing that Justin was a philosopher, said, Which branch of knowledge do you study? Justin answered, I endeavored to acquaint myself with all systems. In the end, I surrendered to the true teachings of Christians These teachings do not please those who are caught up in false beliefs. The city prefect answered, And you enjoy the teachings of these people, you utterly wretched man? Justin replied, The worship of the God of the Christians consists in our belief in the one God, who has made and brought forth the whole creation, visible and invisible, and in the Lord Jesus Christ, whom the prophets foretold in this way. He would appear to the human race as the herald of salvation and proclaimer of, the, of precious truth. Being only a man, I feel too insignificant to say anything appropriate about his boundless divinity. I do, however, acknowledge a prophetic power. He whom I have called here the Son of God has been proclaimed beforehand, I know that through inspiration from God, the prophets foretold his future coming to men. And the city prefect asked, where do you assemble? Justin answered, where each one wants to and is able to. You probably believe that we all come together in one and the same place, but this is not so. For the God of the Christians is not limited to any one place. He fills heaven and earth. He is honored and glorified by the faithful everywhere. 
And Rusticus answered, Answer, where do you assemble? Or in what place do you give your follower? Do your followers gather? And Justin answered, I live up on the hill, close to the baths of Timothy. During all this time, and I am now living in Rome for the second time, I have not known any other meeting place. I communicated the teachings of truth to anyone who wished to see me there. Rusticus asked, You still insist that you are a Christian? Justin answered, I am a Christian. Now the city prefect turned to Chariton. Now this is another Christian who is now on trial for his life along with Justin. And the city prefect said, Now you tell me, are you also a Christian? And Chariton answered, I am a Christian by the will of God. Now Rusticus asked the woman, Charito, what do you say, Charito? And Charito answered, I am a Christian by the gift of God. Now Rusticus turned to Eulpistus, tell me, what are you? And Eulpistus, a slave of the emperor, answered, I too am a Christian. Through Christ I have been freed, and by the gift of Christ I share the same hope. The city prefect asked, Hyrax, are you a Christian too? And he answered, Yes, I am a Christian, for my homage and worship belong to the same God. Rusticus, the city prefect, asked, Did Justin make you a Christian? And Hyrax replied, I was a Christian, and I will be a Christian. And Paeon, who was not among the accused and was standing by, this guy's just watching this trial happen, and he just pipes up and says, I too am a Christian. And the city prefect asked him, Who taught you? And Paeon said, From our parents we accepted this wonderful confession. And Eulpistus said, I heard the words of Justin with joy, but I also learned to be a Christian from my parents. And Rusticus, the city prefect, asked, Where are your parents? Eulpistus said, in Cappadocia, which is in Asia Minor. Rusticus also asked Hyrax, who are your parents? And he answered, Christ is our truth father, and our faith in him is our mother. My earthly parents died. I was taken away from Iconium in Phrygia, and from there I came here. The city prefect, Rusticus, turned to Liberian. What do you say now? Are you a Christian too? Are you also godless? Liberian answered, I too am a Christian, for I worship and give homage to the only true God. The city prefect now turned once more to Justin. Listen, you who are called a learned man, you think that you possess true insight. If you should be scourged and beheaded, do you believe you will ascend into heaven? Justin answered, I believe that if I endure these things, I shall have what he promises. For I know the divine gift will stay with all who live this way until the end of the world. Now Rusticus said, Do you suppose then that you will ascend into heaven and receive some reward there? Justin answered, I do not suppose it. I know it. I am certain of it. And Rusticus said, We have to come now finally to the matter at hand. It is getting urgent. Come here with one accord and offer sacrifice to the gods. 
Justin answered, No, no right-thinking person slanders communion with God by going to godlessness. Rusticus, the city prefect, said, Unless you obey, you will be mercilessly punished. Justin answered, It is our wish to be martyred for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ, and so be saved. This will be our salvation and our confidence at the much more fearful judgment seat of our Lord and Savior, who will demand that the whole world come before His forum. So, also said the other martyrs, Do what you will, for we are all Christians, and we do not sacrifice to idols. Then Rusticus, the city prefect, pronounced sentence. These people who have refused to sacrifice to the gods and do not obey the command of the emperor shall be scourged and then taken away to be beheaded according to the laws. It is so clear that these Christians knew the compassion of Jesus Christ. They knew the love of God. They knew his great mercy. And because of that, they were filled with gratitude. He who has been forgiven much loves much. And that love will be demonstrated in sacrifice. It's like they knew Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And in this verse, Paul hits on another word for worship. It's called latreia. Latreia or Latria. And in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, Paul writes, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And I urge you today, listener, in view of the great mercy of God, to not settle for a worship of God that costs you nothing. God is calling you to be a living sacrifice for him. And if we, he's calling me as well, and if we together will present ourselves daily, hourly before him as he calls us into obedience and away from the world, away from the traditions of this world, away from the worship of God, which actually is blasphemy away from a worship of God that is pleasing to us, but detestable to God. He is calling us to a true living sacrifice of worship. And if we do that, and we do that every day, we, we will be ready when the moment comes, when the time comes to physically lay our lives down. Because things that become habit become second nature. And so I want to encourage you today, what is God calling you to sacrifice for him? What is God calling you to sacrifice for him? Like Abraham, is it your hopes and dreams? Is it your family? What is God calling you to sacrifice? Is it like the blind man where you may be put out of the church for obeying the will of God and standing up in the face of hypocrisy? 
I don't know the specifics of what God is calling you to do, but I know it will not be easy. I know it will not be comfortable. I know if he's calling you to worship, he's calling you to lay down your life for him, to be a living sacrifice. But I also know that the more we do this, the more we will not be pressed in and conformed and shaped into the traditions of the world. No, we become like what we worship. So if we're worshiping God in spirit and in truth as a living sacrifice, we will become more and more like Jesus, which is really the whole point of our salvation here, to become image bearers of the true image of God, Jesus Christ. And that's a promise from him. That's a promise from him. And so I want to encourage you today to make worship, real worship, the driving force of your life. So let's encourage one another daily as long as it is called today to worship God. God bless you. Reflections in my rearview mirror and seasons change faster with each passing year, but you remain a constant source of strength through my trials and pain. You consistently amaze me when the waves crash down. Hold me up when filled with doubt Your love's enough I know I'd be lost If it were not for you When despair abounds You help me see Hope and not left town Or abandoned me But it would be lost If it were not for you like to think and at, at times I've quit when I've lost sight of my belief that you remain a constant source of strength through my trials and pain you said you'd never fail me when the waves crash down of strength through my trials and pain you said you'd never fail me when the waves crash down you hold me up when i'm filled with doubt your love's enough i know i'd be lost if it were not for you
Not for you